Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. We are currently in our sermon series, Stories of Christmas. In this series, we are walking through Luke 2 and the stories of different people who played a role in the Christmas story. From Mary and Joseph to the shepherds and the Magi, each of these stories will culminate in the birth of Jesus. So join us as we share the stories of Christmas. All right. Well, good morning again and welcome. Uh, to Rolling Hills, Columbia. If you weren't here a second ago, my name is uh, T. Lusk, and I have the pleasure of serving as the campus pastor here at Rolling Hills, Columbia. We're one church that's a part of five physical locations, and we have an online uh, service there as well. Uh, so all across Middle Tennessee, there's church, there's bodies of Rolling Hills that are gathering uh, together. And this this morning, to be able to celebrate grand opening with you guys, there is truly no places, zero places on the face of the earth that I would rather be than right here with you guys this morning. I am so excited about just what God's doing and, and the story of Rolling Hills in Columbia over the past uh, couple years as, as we launched in 2021 and, and finally located or had this begin moving towards this location and, and all of the work that's gone into being here this morning, uh, it just really is exciting. And there's so many people that I could thank, but I, we don't have time for that. Uh, but there are so many people that made this day happen, not only just what physically looks here, but just all the stuff that led up to this. So many people that had, that had hands in that. And I just thank, thank you so much uh, and, and, and just grateful to the Lord for the team that he's surrounded us with here to be able to do what he's doing uh, to be able to be a part of what he's doing here. So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, and we're continuing a series that we started last week. I know this is grand opening for us, but across all campuses, last week we started a series uh, called The Stories of Christmas. And that's a kind of a unique label, a title for a series, a Christmas series, because there is just really one story of Christmas, right? There's the story of Christmas, but outside of that, in, or inside of that story of Christmas, there's all of these different individuals that play significant roles in the story of Christmas. And so over the next several weeks, we started last week again with the story of Mary and kind of what she, the role that she played. This week, we're going to look at Joseph and the story, the, the part of the story that Joseph plays inside of this central, enormous story of Christmas that is all about Jesus. And, and as we focus on Joseph today and just this incredible story of this young carpenter and the story of his willingness to listen and unimaginable, facing unimaginable things, I, I, I hope that what we see, what I think one of the, the main things that kind of runs through the story of, of Joseph in this passage, in Luke and the Matthew passage, is Joseph's willingness and I think that there's something special for us to understand and hold on to and learn from this morning on, on this grand opening Sunday from Joseph and his willingness that we'll see as we work through these passages this morning. So if you, again, if you have your Bible and you want to open up to Luke chapter 2, we're going to work through verses 1 through 7 and then also the Matthew passage we'll look at later on in the service. But I'm going to start by reading these verses. So if you have your Bible, it's also going to be on the screen. You can follow along there. This is what the word of the Lord says. Beginning chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Verse 4. And so Joseph went up from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David 
because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them or no guest room available for them. Let's pray together before we move on. Jesus, it's good just to take a deep breath. And in the midst of all the excitement of this morning and all of the, the, the anticipation of grand opening, to be reminded this morning that there was much more anticipation happening 2,000 years ago. And as awesome as this day is for us, there was something much grander that was happening 2,000 years ago. And really, as, as so much of today has already kind of just been focused on us, God, we want to turn that attention 100% over and over again to you and the songs that we sing. And now as we open up your word, God, let this not be about this building or the name on the building or any individual that's in the building or on a stage. God, let it be about you. Let us see you more clearly as we come to your word. God, we submit to your word. It is our authority. We are not an authority over it. It is our authority. So we submit to your word and pray that you would open our eyes as we explore this passage and look specifically at your servant Joseph and his willingness that seems to flow through this passage. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you loved us first and best and always and that your love never fails and it never ends. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you do have a worship guide and you're following along, there's kind of three things that kind of highlight this passage as we won't work through it. And in the beginning right there in, in, in verse 1, I want to start with those days, in those days, the first part of verse 1. And, and just kind of question this, like ask the question, what are those days? And we'll get a little more to the specifics, kind of the context of what's going on in those days in just a second. But, but when we get to those days and we look kind of at those days, I want to zoom all the way out and say something foundational about what's happening in those days. That Jesus is born in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, but also these days as well. And here's the kind of foundational thing. And if you're following along in the worship guide, you can write these down. It will be on the screen here. And this, this is the first thing that I think that we need to see from, these, from those days. That as a sovereign God has with unimaginable and unshakable plans. And what we see at the beginning is a sovereign God. In those days, what's true for then and what's true for us today is that there's a sovereign God with an unimaginable and unshakable plan. Let me tell you what I mean. Luke does something pretty significant right here in these first verses as he kind of walks through and kind of gives us some historical events and some historical people and historical places that we can kind of tie this event to, this birth of Christ so he talks about Caesar Augustus, who's a, a historical figure that's in Rome, which is a historical place, right, a, a real place that we know. This census is a real event that you can go back and find information about, that there are real historical figures outside of Caesar Augustus. And Quirinius, who's the governor there, and the Syria, another place, Mary and Joseph, these real people in real places, in real towns, in the city of David. And what he's trying to help us do is to understand there's this unshakable God, this understanding this unshakable God has his sovereign authority to fulfill his promises, and the words that he's given and the prophecies that he's given throughout the Old Testament in these real places in real time. 
He's given us this picture to let us know this, that, that, that in the most powerful nation in the world at the time, as, as Rome has, has sway over most of the, the, the most powerful portion of the world, he, he is, and, and Caesar is the most powerful individual of, of, in all of the world at the moment, that, that, that God is in charge and Caesar is doing things at God's bidding. We look at this, 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 this census that's happening. For Caesar, this is really a flex. He's really kind of just showing off, hey, this is all the people in my kingdom, all the people that I'm in charge of. The army that I have is this big. It's really a flex for him. And for him to say, I want everybody to go back to these places and and to do these things, it's really an opportunity to pat himself on the back and show how much he's done. But in reality, what's going on is that God's doing something. He's just using this individual to get it done. And at this center of this story, in this kind of this moving through this, is this, this census will position this obscure, engaged couple in the right place at the right time for God to fulfill a promise that was given far beyond, far before this moment in history. He's sovereignly in control of all things, in all places, at all times. And if there's anything that we need to understand, this, this deep theological understanding of who he is and all of those, this overarching foundational truth that he is who he says he is and he's done these things and he's sovereign over all of this, that, that what we really need to understand is it's not just foundational for something back then, it's a practical foundational truth for us today. That it was those days, but it's also these days. That he is sovereignly in control of all places and all times and all things right now. And, 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 and we can hold fast to these, this, this truth, is hold fast to this and hold it close to us and hold tight to it. As, as the questions that swirl around in the head of those who were in Bethlehem at this time and all over the Roman Empire, they also swirl around in the heads of our, our people today. Of, of Does God see us? Does God care for us? Does God hear us? And the question clearly, both then and now, is yes. The question both then and now to does God hear us, the answer to those questions, does God care, does he see us, does he hear us, is yes. He hears us even when it doesn't look like it. Yes, he understands us even when it doesn't feel like it, even when we don't understand it. In those days, yes. And in these days, yes, as well. I can tell you this, that no one in Israel thought as they were moving around to their hometowns, this is our time. Nobody there was thinking, man, this is the spot that, we, I mean, this is, really the, this is really it. This is our time. Everything seems to be coming into fruition. Nobody then was thinking that. And maybe that's where you are right now where you're thinking, man, like everything seems to be spinning out of control. And you're like, I don't know, heads from tails, I don't know what's going on. But I'm telling you, just like these guys, that God's still in control. God's in control then at the macro level of all of, all of the world, at the macro level of our time and the world and our politics and, and the culture. But also, and I think we need to lean in and understand this, that at the micro level, it just for us as individuals, 
Those of you who sit in this room today and, and, and you're asking those questions, it's not just some ethereal idea that people are asking these questions somewhere, that I know that some of you this week, and I can't imagine that I'm the only one that needed to wrestle with this truth this week and to hear this as I was studying and preparing, that yes, God understands, and yes, God sees, and yes, God hears you in the midst of your mess, in the overwhelming details of your day-to-day life. That yes, He's sovereign over your past. He's sovereign over your present. He's sovereign over your future. He's sovereign over your relationships. He's sovereign over your kids and their relationships and their future. Who he was then is who he is now. And he will not change. So that's foundational for us. We've got to remember these things as as we move forward, that he's sovereign over all things to fulfill his purposes and the promises that he's given us. And we move on, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what those days specific in the context of this passage look like. And I think, again, we'll kind of take it from the macro and move a little into the micro towards Joseph and his own life and then really kind of explore our lives. But in those days, I think if you're following along, the second thing that you'll find is that a world that is full of brokenness and confusion Again, the macro, let's pull all the way back, right? We understand this, that on the one side we pull all the way back, we realize that God is sovereign. On the other side, we, we pull all the way back and we realize that foundationally the world is broken. There's confusion, there, there's, there's brokenness and confusion. We recognize that that's the result of sin. That's all the way back what we call the orig- original sin, right? It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When creation rebelled against the creator in the Garden of Eden, When we as creation said, God, we can do it better than you. We figured this out better than you. And from that moment on, there's this brokenness and this confusion that we recognize as as we rebelled against God. And it continued down through all of history. And we we experience it and the whole world experiences it and we experience it on our own. As we drill down a little bit further, we understand that these days or those days in this passage specifically were not the golden age of Israel. Honestly, it hasn't been the golden age of Israel for a really long time. I mean, for the past 400 years, what we understand in this passage as as Christ comes is that God has not been active through his prophets. He's not given a direct active hand for the past 400 years. He's been silent. Between the end of the Old Testament and Nehemiah, which is the last kind of historic book, and then the beginning of the New Testament when the, when the, the gospel writers kind of record the beginning of, of Christ being born, there's a 400-year gap of God's activity among his people. Like, I can't stand five minutes of you not returning a text to me. And if I haven't returned a text to you that I was supposed to return, it's my fault. Uh, I, I don't have an excuse. So I'll just give that. I, I apologize. But 400 years of wondering and waiting, wondering if God cares, if he sees, if he hears, waiting for God's words and his prophecies and his promises to be fulfilled, longing for these things to be done, these these fulfillments of these Old Testament prophecies that promise a rescuer, a redeemer that would come, a Messiah that was going to come. 400 years of brokenness and quiet and confusion. And you drill down just a little bit farther to this young man, Joseph. When you think about it, Joseph is just one of those folks that if you're looking at the nativity scene, he's kind of a gray man in the whole story, right? If you don't know what a gray man is, it's kind of the person who just kind of fades in the background. 
they're there, right? But they don't make, they don't cause a whole lot of stir. They, they're kind of quiet and, and they just kind of blend in. That's what most people think about me is that I just kind of blend in. I don't cause a lot of stir. That's a lie. Um, but it's, it's, he's just kind of, he's kind of obscure in this whole story. We know he's there, right? We see him, but he's, we don't know a lot about him. One of my favorite uh, Advent devotionals, Christmas devotionals, uh, it kind of gives a, an insightful picture of this Jewish carpenter that I think it's just an imagination. It's kind of just thinking about this young man who is a, a, car, a craftsman, a carpenter, just what his life would look like. And I think it kind of helps us just wrap our minds around him, get some flesh on Joseph a little bit. It says this, that Joseph can't remember the first time he held a chisel and a hammer. But as soon as he was able to begin his apprenticeship, his father had put the tools of the family trade in his hands. And as far back as he could remember, the palms of his hands were calloused with the labor of his family and his hair with the sawdust of a craftsman. Get a little picture of this young man. He came from a long line of craftsmen, builders, and technicians who cultivated the skills of making useful things out of the materials drawn from the dust. And Joseph... Would, in Joseph's world would have been one of structure and order where there was a process to follow if he wanted to make things that held together and that were worthy of the family's name. To skip a step would weaken the product and even more importantly, it would weaken the family name. Just to get a, a little bit of a picture of this young craftsman, carpenter. And so what do these days look, for, look like for Joseph? Now, I was thinking it's safe to say that some steps have been skipped for him. That a life of order is maybe out of order for this young man in those days. And maybe the way that he had pictured it is not the way that it's going right now. I mean, you think about it, the, the language of engagement is, is a strong language. For, for all practical purposes, Mary and Joseph are married. They haven't maybe had the ceremony and they haven't consummated that, that marriage yet, but they're married for all practical purposes. To end what happens right now, it is divorce. It, it, is, it, it has to move towards divorce. And so, so what Joseph is, is, is finding out when Mary comes to him, and, and some scholars think that she's well along in this story, is that this wife, this lady that he's, he's promised to be married to, she's pregnant. And everything is confused. Everything is broken. All the things, all the structures and the systems that he has in place, all the ways that it was supposed to be, they're all gone. And these starry-eyed lovebirds, I, I can imagine this confusion that's inside of his heart as what was the plan for them, as they, they planned on establishing a family and raising their kids in this hometown with all of their other friends. All of that story is gone now. Because things are out of order. I think why, and you think it's hard for us to kind of understand the gravity of that because honestly, we've heard this story and some of us are just so familiar with the story. It's like, why is that a big deal, dude? Just get over it. But the reality, again, is what we said a second. I mean, like, they are, they are married for all practical purposes. You think about it, this 400 years of silence, and, and she comes to him and says, not only am I pregnant, but hey, guess what? The baby that's inside, that's kicking inside of my belly, it's God's baby. That sounds really believable. You'd be like, not only has she, has, has she gone and done something that's, that's totally ruined our lives, but now she's gone crazy. 
It's not easy for us to wrap our minds around, but, but honestly, just if you think about what has to, I mean, can you imagine Joseph in, the, in his shop working on tables and, and building things, having those conversations with himself of what's going on? My parents obviously didn't ask the right questions when they made this happen. What's, what's happening in my world? Nothing adds up, and we know, we know what this feels like. Maybe not to this level, but everybody's experienced this at some level where we know this, this emotion where things are just off kilter. We understand this, this. Things don't add up. Logically, they don't make sense. We try to figure it out, and our head spins, but there's only silence. And like Joseph, we wrestle with these scenarios in our head just to get a picture of what's happening You've been there. I, I know some of you have talked to you just even this morning. You've walked through or walking through scenarios in life that you did not expect. Diagnosis. Maybe you've walked through, through news from someone that you did not expect. The ways that your kids have, have gone in life is not the way that you expected it to go. The way your job is going right now is not what you thought it would be. And maybe it's not the same gravity of what's going on right here for Joseph, but you've experienced some moment of brokenness and confusion in the same way that this young carpenter's experienced it. Just a, a kind of a, just a quick aside, this Tuesday night we have uh, right here, I, I can't remember the time, I think it's 6 o'clock, it's on the back of your worship guide, we have our, our first kind of care ministry event, and it's, it's just a one-night event called Hope for, Finding Hope in the Holidays. And if you've gone through a loss over the past several months, the past year or something, maybe something significant, and you just, you know that you're facing the holidays and you just need somebody to help you just kind of wrap your mind around how to face that, we'd love for you to come and be a part of that Tuesday night. You can find, it, again, the information on there. Sign up so that we know that you're coming and we can be prepared for you. But, but here is a, a man who's going through those moments where the dreams have been shattered. The things that he's thought were going to happen are, are gone. And as a carpenter, we know he's a man that's accustomed to figuring out problems. He's somebody who, who when a problem does arise in, in, the, in the building of something, figures out how to fix it and to make it right. And so he does that here. And it tells us that he comes up with a plan. If you go to the Matthew passage in Matthew chapter 1, it tells us that he, he has a plan. He's going to do something, even though he's, he's not... He, he's not He's not comfortable with it. it it's, it's still confusing, but he's settled on what he's going to do. He's going to, he's going to quietly divorce her and not subject her to any public shame. He loves this woman. He's tender, and he doesn't want to do anything to hurt her. But he's going to walk away from this, and, and again, in no less confusion, but he, he's confident that this is what he has to do. And that's when, Jesus, when, that's when the Lord steps in. If you go back to the, ver the verse in chapter 1, or Matthew chapter 1, it says this, but after... He had considered this. He's considered what he's going to do, and he's decided this is what he's going to do. Basically, he's going to go to sleep. He's laid his head down. How many of you have done that? You've made a decision. You're going to sleep. Maybe you don't sleep super well, but you know what you're going to do, what you have to do the next morning. And he goes to sleep, and it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's not lying. She will give birth to a son, and you are going to give him the name Jesus. Because he will be, the, he will be his people's. He will, be, he will save his people. 
from their sin. Excuse me. This passage, if you read it in, in the NIV, it's a little nonchalant. It's like he, he decides what he's going to do, and then an angel shows up. Like it, I, Other translations kind of give you a little more gravity to it. I think the ESV says it that, that he says, behold. Kind of like Matthew wants to get your attention. Like, hey, listen, listen up. He's gone to bed. He's, he's decided. But then he lays his head down, and God comes in. To understand this is, this is when the Lord shows up. You've made your plan, right? You've got this problem. You've figured out the answer. And then the Lord shows up and says, hey, listen, I've got a different plan than what you thought. I've got a plan for you, and I need you to listen. And he shows up, and he says to Joseph, I'm going to work out this situation. You don't have to be the craftsman that figures it out. I've already made a plan. And if you're following along, the third thing that I think that we find is that, that is, this, is this broken and confused light, this world that's broken, his world that's broken, into that moment, into that heart that's broken and confused, we find a heart that's willing to trust and obey. You think about it, he lays his head down that night, he's confused, he knows that he's got to do this right thing, and God steps in and says, no, I've got a plan that you would have never thought about. What you maybe have worked out, I'm telling you, my plan is far greater. And amen, praise the Lord that Joseph listened. And i got a couple of observations before we wrap up this morning that I want to make sure we grab. Because I think this is so important for us. First observation is this, that God shows up, right? The first thing, God shows up and he doesn't come in to this dream that Joseph's having, screaming and hollering, making all kinds of crazy things because Joseph has made a mistake in deciding that this is what he's going to do. I mean, that's maybe what you and I would have done if we found out that he was doing something. Like, we'd have been like, no, you dummy, come on, wake up. This is, we got we to gotta make a better, better plan. But God doesn't show up screaming and hollering. He doesn't come in wearing him out about, being, about doing what he was supposed to doing what God's plan was. God comes in and he brings clarity through his word to, to calm his fears. In tenderness and grace, he comes to him and he brings his word to bring clarity and to calm those fears. Listen to me. We need to hear this this morning. I need you to hear this because, honestly, this is, this is a hill that I will die on for sure. The most important thing that you can hear, period, outside of God is sovereignly in control of all things. And how we know that God is sovereignly in control of all things is because his word tells us. And if you and I ever want to sense that calm in the midst and the calm and the clarity that comes in in hearing from God, it's going to be from spending time with God in his word. His word is what brings clarity, what brings hope, what brings light in the darkness. The psalmist writes this, your word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. It's his word. And if we ever think that we're going to figure out what God has for us and what life looks like and the way that it's supposed to be, and, it, and, and we're going to do it apart from his word, you're going to live a miserable, dark, broken life. Because his word is what brings us clarity. So I don't know where you've been, but as we approach this new year, maybe you've gone through and you've started a Bible reading program 12 times and not made it past Leviticus. I know that feeling. I've gotten and I've done it. But I'm going to invite you, even right now, to jump in Daily Steps. We have an Advent devotional that will run us through the end of the year. It's online in the app, and you can find it on the the website at rollinghills.com or rollinghills.church. But as we start the new year, make a commitment. You're going to spend time with God in his word. And listen, 
if you fall off, right, you miss a day, you miss two days, when was the last time you missed a day of eating and didn't go back to eat food? When was the last time you went to a buffet? I'm not saying they were good. I'm just saying you went to it and then you were like, oh, that's enough for the next month. Oh, listen, we go to God's word daily because we need it. And so if you fall off, give yourself a break. You're not getting a grade on it. Just pick up wherever it picks up. But commit to reading God's word with me. I'm going to be in daily steps, whatever our daily steps is. But if you want another level of that, I've invited some folks to, be, to join in with me. And I know some of you are going to do it in reading through scripture as a whole. Uh, there'll be lots of different plans that we launch. But, but if you want to join in with me, I'm going to have just kind of a daily step specific. But I'm going to join in. I'm, I'm going to work through the, the Bible in a, in a chronological order. And so if you want to jump in with me in that, and, and listen, I'm going to miss a day. And I'm not going to tell you, and I'm not going to, it's going to be fine. Y'all just going to have to deal with it. But we're going to move through God's word because we've got to spend time with God's word. The second observation is this from, this, from what happens here, is God shows up. And I really feel like we've got to understand and highlight is God bring, God's word brings clarity into the confusion. The angel runs down all of the things that are happening, and, and, and he brings this clarity into the confusion. But Joseph still has to be willing to be obedient. I mentioned in the beginning, one of the things that, that kind of works through this and the kind of characteristic that, that I think marks Joseph's life is his willingness. And, and, and Joseph has to be willing. He's got to step in and be willing to trust God and obey him. Joseph still has to be willing to trust him and obey him and willing to put his faith in God and, and do so even when it doesn't make sense and he doesn't understand the details. Joseph still has to be willing to believe that God can take, can take what seems to be a massive mess and do something miraculous with it. Joseph still has to be willing to submit to his, to his plans, to God's plans. Joseph still has to be willing to endure the potential shame from those who will reject not only him but his bride. And not understand, and day in and day out, give them looks and question what's going on between the two of them. Joseph's still going to have to be willing to love and to care for somebody that others may reject. Meaning that baby that he carries. Others are going to reject him. He's still going to have to be willing to step up. He's going to have to be willing to forfeit his public reputation, trusting that God, what God has for him and what God says about him is better than what anybody else might say about him. He's going to have to be willing. And the fullness of what, of what Joseph has got to be willing to do will not be known for a long time. It's not like tomorrow everything's going to be clear for everybody else and even him. He's going to have to be willing to walk down a road that's one step at a time, one, one light of the path at a time. He's going to have to be willing to take one step, one obedient step, one next right step at a time. He's going to have to be willing to do the next right, faithful, and obedient thing. At the center of the story, the part that Joseph plays is the fact that he is willing. That he does end up being willing to trust God and obey him. He is willing to, to move beyond the lip service and the momentary emotional commitment to actually trusting him. He's, he's willing to trust the Lord when his expectations are fussed. He's, he has a willingness to follow God when it doesn't make sense and when it's hard and uncomfortable. Willing to do these things when it's challenging and it's going to cost him something. And all of it is unknown. 
As we drill down just a little bit further, I want to ask you, are you willing? Are you willing? Joseph wasn't special. I mean, he was just a regular old guy, blue-collar fella from a, a, a nowhere town in the middle of Israel. Nazareth was not a great town. It's kind of like where I grew up. I don't let people know that when I'm down there. I'm like, I, you know, I don't, I, don't let you, I, don't know, I don't let people know all the time where I'm from because I get excluded from places when I let y'all know that. But Joseph, not a, not, nothing special other than God chose him and Mary. God has put his favor on us as his children. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing to trust him? Is your heart willing to trust and obey him? Is your heart willing to move beyond lip service and momentary commitments to actually walk with Jesus? Is it willing to say yes when it doesn't make sense, when it's uncomfortable, when it's going to cost you things, when your expectations have been flushed? Are you willing to follow the Lord and, and, and do what, and, and even when it's challenging, when it's unknown, are you willing to trust the Lord with the next right, faithful, obedient step? No matter where you are today, maybe you've never heard anything about the gospel and you showed up here today, and I'm so glad that you're here. Are you willing to take the next right and obedient step and just find out what it means to have a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you've been walking with Jesus forever. You've been a Christian since you were, you can't remember when it started. But there's still a next right obedient step for you today, just as there was back when you started and followed Christ. Are you willing today to pick up God's word? Maybe it's to, to, to take the step in baptism, to find out what it means to be a part of Rolling Hills and to become a partner here and, and become involved and serve. There's so many next steps for all of us. Are you willing to take that right next obedient step, faithful obedient step? Joseph was willing to say yes. And trusting God and his willingness to join in with God and what God was calling him to brought him to a wonderful adventure. And our willingness to follow him and to say yes will, will, will put us, we'll, we'll be joining God in a great story of redemption that he's asked us to be a part of and invited us to be a part of as well. My hope, as the band comes and the choir comes, my hope is this, that, that we as Rolling Hills across all of our campuses, but, but this campus as we kind of celebrate and inaugurate this campus on this grand opening day in this place, my hope is that we would be a church, a campus of Rolling Hills, a, a people that are willing, that what marks Rolling Hills is that they are a people who are willing that we are willing, willing to believe God is truly in control of all things at all times and all places, even when it, doesn't, mat even when it doesn't, doesn't make sense and it doesn't match our expectation, that we believe that God is willing, that God is, that God is in control. That we would be a church not only that, that believes that God is in control, that, that we are willing that to, to be people that come alongside others that are in those dark and confusing places, those broken, and, and broken times in life with the hope of Jesus. To mourn with them when they mourn and to, to rejoice with them when they rejoice, to cry with them when they cry, and always point them to the hope and the healing that comes in Jesus. I hope that we are a church that's willing to come alongside the broken. Because Christ came alongside us when we were broken. And he continues to. 
I hope that we're a church. My prayer is that we would be a church that's marked by a willingness to hold fast to God's word. To faithfully follow God no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, and no matter the cost. That what would mark us as a church here in, in Columbia would be a willingness, a willingness that's birthed not out of our own strapping our, pulling tight our bootstraps and doing it on our own, but from a willingness of a gracious and good and heavenly father to leave heaven and come and put on flesh and live a life among us that we could not live, a willingness to die a death for us that we deserve to die and a willingness to restore us to a relationship with the Father that we were created for. May we be marked by willingness. And just to kind of commemorate this special day, just to kind of put a bow on it, we're going to sing some songs, but I've invited one of our, one of our pastors from our Franklin campus, my, my good friend Eric Rogers, to kind of just say a prayer of commissioning, a, a prayer just over us, just asking God to use this place, but more than just this building, it's just concrete, just walls, these people, because the people are the church be a church that's marked by a willingness to serve our community, to love them, and to point them towards Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed and get notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.